All right, today we bring back author and Alfred Hitchcock expert Tony Lee Morrell to discuss his just-released and fascinating book, Alfred Hitchcock Storyboards. In fact, we are releasing this interview on the same day that Tony's book is available, February 6, 2024. Congratulations, Tony. There are some interesting parts of this book dealing with some of the Hitch's spy movies. There's even discussion as to how Hitchcock can help TikTokers today learn how to develop their story. We'll get into that in a little bit. So welcome back to the show, Tony. Thank you. It's great to be back with you guys. I really enjoyed my last visit. So I couldn't wait to get back on SpyMovieNavigator.com. Thank you. We're very, very happy to have you here. All right. This is Dan. And Todd. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Your spy movie team has been bringing you the best coverage of spy movies in the world for almost five years. All right. So, Tony, the title of your latest book makes it quite clear what the book is about, namely the Alfred Hitchcock storyboards. We know that Hitchcock used storyboards extensively. First, tell us the importance of storyboarding. And is this just an old technology or are movies being made today still using and doing storyboarding? And tell us why they were a favorite of Hitchcock's. Well, to start right at the end of your question there, Hitchcock loves storyboarding because he started off as a title designer in the early 1920s for an American company working in London called Famous Players Lasky. So he was a title designer who drew the storyboards for those early silent films. And he worked previously at a telegraph company. So he was always doodling and sketching and drawing as many of his uh, co-workers suggested to me when I interviewed them. And so when he was thinking about his movies, he'd always think about what's in the frame, what's in the rectangle, he would say. And so he would draw on a piece of paper, especially the important scenes, scenes of action or scenes of suspense. And when you look at movies today, they similarly use the same principle. So we're talking about 100 years of cinema technique using storyboards. And storyboards are often used for fast-paced sequences, for action sequences. And they're shared with the production crew, especially the cinematographer, or if you're doing a stunt with a stunt coordinator, because it's a pictorial representation of what's going to end up on the screen. And so it's really an essential form of communication for many members of the movie department. So I'm sure Christopher Nolan uses storyboards, and Martin Scorsese certainly does for key sequences. And so... Hitchcock really inspired them and the spy movie genre with his storyboarding. Yeah, I know. I think in one point in your book about when you're talking about the importance of the storyboarding for Hitchcock, that he said something like the filming itself was a necessary evil or something. <laughs> yeah, he always said first put it down on paper. He called about the camera logic. It was very important to draw that rectangle, to be thoroughly prepared. And that's why I was keen to write the book, because Today, anyone become a filmmaker or content creation because the technology has changed massively. Everyone can shoot on their iPhone and put a film up on TikTok, you know, within a few seconds. It's incredible. But if if you were a Hitchcock, you do it with a bit more preparation. You'd storyboard it out the sequence. You think about the shots and how they juxtapose and the editing. And so that was, I was really keen to write towards that generation of content creators today and what they can learn from his storyboarding, especially from the spy movies from the 39 Steps to Torn Curtain. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you say the, the comment about the you know, stunt people and stuff. And we interviewed Rick English and he talked about the previs work they do that is where they walk through the scenes 
and test everything out and make sure that they've got the shots the way they want them and everything. So it's almost like, is that a modern day version of a storyboard or might they storyboard and then do the previous work? That's right. Previs is it's an advanced technology for the storyboarding. It stands for pre-visualization. And I write about it in the book and in my movie making masterclass book. So today's uh, technology uses previs and whether it's using CGI or animation or, or live action, the idea of pre-visualization is essential for movie making today. Well, that's great. Thanks for that explanation. That, that really does help us. Now, yeah. another thing that might be helpful to cover up front is there are two titles that, of people you use in this book. You talk about art director and you talk about production design. And you mention some of the people who are involved in that in the Hitchcock movies. But I personally find it a bit confusing the way the two titles almost get mixed up in terms of when you talk to one person, they might say they're an art director. Another person may say they're production design. And I'm not sure where they overlap. And you have an explanation in the book from Hitchcock that actually confused me even more. <laughs> His quote, I, I had to read that like four times before I got what he was saying with it. So can you kind of talk a little bit about the difference between the roles of art director versus production design? Sure. Um, the production designer. So if you think of the birds, uh, Robert Boyle was a production designer and he was on there right from the start. He started the same time as the screenwriter, Evan Hunter, if not before. And so the production designer, the definition we have is a person responsible for the visual concept of the film right at the start, even before the script is made, which is quite incredible. This is how important storyboarding and camera logic and visualization was. So Robert Boyle, when he was hired for the birds, even before Evan Hunter was hired, he went to Bodega Bay on a scout and he would look at the terrain and he drew sketches. And so we've got the famous sketches from the birds, which he drew, which was inspired by Edvard Monk's very famous painting, The Scream. Everyone knows it. Ah, you know, and he saw it, the kind of state of madness, the inner wilderness inside someone, the, the, the idea of a silent scream. And it's quite perfect because if you see the sketches he did, it's very similar for being on the pier of the scream, of the scream a man and a child on the pier in Bodega Bay and there's birds overhead. So he came up with a concept for the look of a production design, whereas the art director is a person who manages a creative team, plans the sets and a knowledge of the architecture. And so that art director comes in. I mean, the, the two almost overlap. So production designer can evolve into the art director or they could be two separate people. Uh, but the person, the art director, is the, the on-hands person on the set, helping with the creative team make the sets and designs the sets. Um, and so those are the two differences, if that's clear. Yeah, that, that does help. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think, it's yeah, I think it's great that you put that in the book, too, because it, it gives us an ability and the opportunity to learn about the art directors that are responsible for the storyboards and everything. It's a, it's a really nice touch in the book to learn all of this stuff in addition to seeing the beautiful storyboards that you're you're illustrating, you're showing us from Hitchcock. Well, and that's one thing I really like is you're showing us these storyboards. I mean, you've got a lot of storyboards and pictures Fantastic. from the development of these movies. And it's just an amazing view and look back into how Hitchcock made these movies. Yeah, it's a fabulous book. I'm, I'm really pleased with the 
art direction and a production design of the book. All the storyboards are either from the BFI for the 39 steps, but mainly from the Margaret Herrick Library where the Hitchcock files are held in LA. And we got the permission of the Alfred Hitchcock state to republish them, which was fantastic. Yes. But yes, I wanted to go through the entire gamut of Hitchcock's films. I couldn't obviously show every storyboard from the 52 films, but they were a selection which shows the various stages in his career from his early British period, like The 39 Steps, which is my favourite spy movie yes. from, <laughs> from, from the black and white, right to the 50th feature Torn Curtain, which was made in 1965, which was at the opposite end because it was a Cold World um, spy story. And so it seemed very appropriate to kind of bookend the film, uh, the book with those two films. It was a very good approach. Yeah, I mean, this is a fantastic book for anyone interested in movies, period. I mean, yes, yeah, spy movies, Hitchcock movies, yeah. But anybody interested in movies, this is a background about how one of the masters in the movie business, Hitchcock, did all of this stuff that we see in movies today, that we see in movies back to the 30s, which is fantastic. Absolutely. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I agree. So everyone should get this book. It's yeah, beautiful. it is a great read. And, and beautiful. I mean, it, that's the cool thing about this is you you talk about the story and how they made the story and then being able to see the storyboards and you look at how they drew it out and you and then you look at the movie and it's like what he drew out or what the artist drew out is what we see in the movie. And so, you know, for me, it was the most clear with that you have a montage in here from Psycho and the shower scene in Psycho. And that yeah. is just amazing to see. And I love the fact that you were able to get all of these storyboards to help you tell the story about how Hitchcock used them to make these movies. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't write the book without the shower scene in Psycho. If you're doing storyboarding, it's really the quintessential storyboarding for a montage and action sequence and suspense and very little violence in terms of there isn't actually that much bloodshed because it's all suggestion through the use of montage. Yeah as Hitchcock says, because the knife never really touches the body. And he used um, fake source, obviously, for the blood when it's going down the uh, plug hole. But yes, um, we got permission through Jennifer Bass, who saw Bass's daughter to republish uh, Saul Bass storyboards, which were at the Academy. But they're being studied all around the world um, by film classes, this fa very famous sequence, because Hitchcock uses a series of 21 frames from a psycho shower scene, for example, in one storyboard. And there are probably about 72 shots. And there's even a whole documentary just made on the shower sequence, as you probably know. So that's how important it is in film cinema. And that's fascinating. It's great that you're able to get that for the, for the book here, because it's if somebody hasn't seen it, they get your book. They, it really brings home how that was done, which is really cool. Fantastic. I, mean, I think that having including these storyboards is really great and you also talk about the artists behind it so the title of your book is alfred hitchcock storyboards but you also give a lot of credit to the the art directors and the production designers behind the scenes talking about how they worked with hitchcock on this and to me that's just the that's just the cool stuff because yeah we've heard hitchcock like storyboards but you get the behind the scenes here which is really cool that was really important to me because Everyone thinks that Hitchcock was the auteur. He certainly was in terms, he made the final decision, but he had a fantastic A-list crew. 
And I really enjoy delving into the artists, especially some of the unknown ones or lesser known ones. And it all started in the book uh, with Oscar Verndorf, who was a production designer. He was a German emigre who moved to London from Germany just before the war. And he designed the fantastic sets for the 39 Steps. I was very pleased to include a woman, Dorothea Holt Redmond, who did the famous sketches for Rebecca and Gone with the Wind. And because she was working with Selznick, she um, was introduced to Hitchcock on Rebecca. and She drew the famous sketches for Mandalay and then went to work with him on Shadow of a Doubt. And also other production designers and art directors, we've mentioned Robert Boyle, but obviously Henry Bumstead, who did the fantastic sets for Vertigo, among other films. And Mentor Hubner a storyboard artist who did the famous crop duster sequence, among others, in the North by Northwest. And two of, two of the storyboard artists are still alive, much to my delight. Joseph Musso, who was a storyboard artist who was only 24 when he was working on Torn Curtain. He gave me a fantastic interview. And Thomas Wright, who was the artist for Family Plot, uh, Hitchcock's last film, as well as doing Topaz in 1969. That's great. It's really nice to get the perspective of the people who actually did the design work. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk a lot about how Hitchcock worked with cameras, too. And all of it is assumed to be, this is all sketched out ahead of time on storyboards, telling the story before the camera even starts to roll. And I, I know that Hitchcock always said that the camera is the, is the audience, and all of the time. It's, it is the audience seeing what's happening. And it's the same kind of thing in the storyboards, right? That's the first telling of the story that's going to be behind the camera lens later. That's right. Um, Hitchcock very much thought about camera logic, and I think that's why he's such a great director. When I interviewed Norman Lloyd and I say, why are we still talking about Hitchcock? You know, uh, 40 years after his death and 100 years after his first film, he said, many reasons come to mind, but for a director, you have to know your camera logic. You have to know where to place the camera, especially in an action sequence like North by Northwest or the shower scene in Psycho or the bird attacks in The Birds. So I think that that was makes Hitchcock a very inspirational director for many uh, spy movie directors today. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about spy movies. Let's take a look and drill into The 39 Steps, which is one of my favorite spy movies. And as you said, Tony, one of your favorite spy movies as well. I loved how you wrote such a concise yet thorough synopsis of this movie at the beginning of the section in your book. And you packed everything in there and did it so succinctly, which is hard to do. It's great. How long did it take you to write that synopsis? Because you got <laughs> everything in there and it's not very long. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I know. And that was a great thing about the 39 Steps, which I, I wanted to do it for the TikTokers as well, because it's very inspirational for them, because it's composed of a sh series of short stories which make up a, yeah. long, a long movie. And and so and North by Northwest was modelled very much on the 39 Steps. It's like an American version of it. And so I, I just loved the film and just thought about the direction it goes in and those essential uh, short story elements and how you can tell a story succinctly. But yes, it took a, took a little work just to <laughs> encapsulate everything because there's so much in there. Yeah. So, which, so your guidance here to the TikTokers is take a look at a movie like The 39 Steps, look at how it's really a series of short stories put together. And if you want to put together a series of TikToks, 
here's how you might glue something together. Is that kind of what yeah, guidance is? Absolutely, because um, Hitchcock said every scene is like a, a little film onto itself. So for example, when Robert Donat, who plays Panne, he goes to the crofter's um, farm, and there's that fantastic interplay between the crofter's wife, played by Dame Peggy Ashcroft, and also the, the crofter who's very jealous of them, played by John Laurie. So it's a very famous scene. And then when he escapes from the police station, he uh, joins the Salvation Army uh, marching band and then ends up in an oratory platform because he's mistaken for a speaker. So it's that little series of events, which is so fantastic and done in such rapid succession. And Hitchcock storyboarded that. So yes, if you want to look at like short story construction, definitely look at the 39 steps because it really holds your attention. Yeah. And after this great synopsis, you've told the story of how the storyboards were created and yeah. have some wonderful examples of the artwork created showing how Hitchcock executed on his famous line, I think a film should be made on paper ahead of time, like you mentioned. <laughs> when I looked at the storyboards for the 39 steps, you can recall the actual scenes in the movie by looking at each one of these storyboards in your book and, and how good they are in terms of bringing you right into the scene you know from the movie. That's fantastic. In this discussion, you talked about the TikTokers, again, like you just mentioned, and the Instagrammers, how they could learn how to put together this full story like this. That what you just went over for TikTokers is fantastic because just saying that it's a, it's a series of small stories gives a lot of insight into the movie. And when we relook at the movie when you, and you're thinking about that, that's a fantastic look at it. And the storyboards just lay that out for you. They tell the story ahead of time before it's even filmed. That part of your book, I, I loved the 39 steps. Yeah, fantastic. I agree. And I was so excited researching the archives of the BFI because there are, what well, I believe storyboards about half a dozen which had never been published before because they weren't catalogued as storyboards. If you go on the internet and you search for the 39 steps storyboard, there are a series of about half a dozen which you see again and again. But I think I found an additional six to eight which have never been published and they're beautiful. And as you say, you can look at them and know instantly where they are in the film because they're so similar. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I love the, the two in that series that you've got there that just do it for me are the, the one you've got of the um, inn. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I, that, that shot there. Fantastic. Great. And then the assembly hall thing where he has to do his political speech. Yeah. That, I just love the picture of that. I don't know yeah. why, but it's it exact. really sets hit. You know, the, it's the camera from the back and him way up front. Yeah. It really just sets it up so nice. And the fact that they did it on paper before they did it on film. Yeah. It's just fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. absolutely shows you that, that how he thought the film should be made on paper ahead of time. It's it was yeah, fantastic chapter in the book. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And in the book, you talk about Oscar Verndorf again, and how he was influential working with Hitchcock. Now they worked together in Germany, didn't they? Um, I they may have worked together at the Ufa Studios or Cross Paths, but the German expressionism because Hitchcock went to Ufa in the 1920s and watch uh, F.W. Murnau work on The Last Laugh in 1924. But then Oscar Verndorf moved over in the, in the early 30s and worked with Hitchcock on two films, uh, The 39 Steps and then the one immediately after, Sabotage. 
Um, and sadly, he died very early um, towards the end of the 1930s. But the German Expressionism influence was instrumental for Hitchcock. And so that's why he probably worked with Oscar Verndorf. Um, he, he worked with another German production designer later on, we'll probably talk about, called Hein Heckroth, very famous production designer on Torn Curtain. But it was, it was his influence in Germany, which was very important for the 39 Steps. And what German Expressionism is, it's basically a way of filming and lighting which shows light and shade, distorted images, exaggerated camera angles, uh, kind of expressionistic sets, if you, if you think of, say, M by Fritz Lang. And so it's very evident in that in, when you look at the storyboards, especially because of the use of uh, light and shade and the charcoals, and the depths and the shadow, light and shade especially. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, uh, it was very important for Hitchcock, that German expressionist technique. I like also the quotes from Hitchcock that talk about how he used close-ups in the storyboards and thus in the movie to show movement in the storyboards. That was enlightening to me. You talk in the, you have chapters on the shadow of a doubt, spellbound and vertigo. Again, these are some great movies and, and, Great, you give some great credit to the art directors like uh, Henry Bumstead and so on. Uh, these aren't technically spy movies for us. We we would but we would not say okay, let's talk more about those. But they're fantastic treatments in your book, and you see how Hitchcock developed these movies. And once once you get Tony's book out there, everybody, you'll see that these chapters are a great read. I especially like your discussions on the forced perspective and filming the bell tower scene in Vertigo, for instance. For those listening, I mean, you got to get Tony's book. You'll love it because it's all about Hitchcock, but it's enlightening and entertaining for all movie lovers as well. So do you have anything you want to recall there, Tony, out of, of for our listeners before we move back to another spy movie from those particular um, well, for, ones? For the, well, Vertigo, if we talk about the forced perspective, someone who doesn't know what that is, well, Hitchcock designed that very famous uh, zoom dolly shot to show the state of a Jimmy Stewart character when he's chasing Kim Novak at the bell tower. He wanted, it's very much about conveying feelings through the camera. And so he designed the forced perspective, uh, which is a camera movement of a, a, a zoom uh, dolly in and a zoom out, which creates that just kind of distorted image. And Steven Spielberg famously replicated it in Jaws when Roy Schneider first sees the shark on the beach. You remember that shot? Mm -hmm. And uh, the camera zooms on his face and the background seems to recede. And so that's a very famous shot which Hitchcock created with Henry Bumstead. And they actually created a miniature of a bell tower and laid it on its side. I talk about it. And at the beginning of the movie, when, when Jimmy Stewart is hanging from from the gutter for his life. There's a similarly, the vertigo shot is established when the policeman falls down and he's looking down. So Hitchcock was very much about feelings and generating the camera audience through that. Yeah. All right, so let's move back into the spy movie genre here because the next chapter is probably my favorite chapter in the book because of the way you talk about the crop duster scene. We'll get to that. Yeah. So obviously I'm talking about North by Northwest. And then I mentioned the, you know, the other... My other really favorite part of this book is the one on Psycho, but this time we're going to talk about North by Northwest. And what I really love is the sheer number of pictures you have of the storyboards in your book, 
to really hit the point home of how Hitchcock used storyboards. And so if you want to talk a little bit about North by Northwest and whether it's the crop duster scene or any of the other scenes, talk about Robert Boyle's production design here and what storyboards you chose to include and why you did that. Yeah, I mean, I, let me jump in here too, because I, I love the detail you gave on the Van Damme house and the crop yeah. duster scene. So if we could really talk about that, just yeah. give us an overview of this, uh, the storyboards for this exciting movie. Sure. Well, North by Northwest is probably the pinnacle, in my opinion, of Hitchcock movies. It started the whole genre of spy movies with a James Bond, the man on the run, the innocent man accused. It has many of the Hitchcock motifs, the classic villain played by James Mason, the seductive blonde by Eva Mary Saint. Um, but it's such a great action movie and it works on so many levels. It's just a, it's just a great crowd pleaser. And Ernie Lehman, the screenwriter, said he just wanted to make the Hitchcock picture, which ends all Hitchcock pictures. <laughs> it's like a great big chocolate sundae moving in a northwesterly direction. It's just got everything <laughs> in it. And so um, it's fantastic for storyboarding. Obviously, the crop duster scene is world famous, emulated and replicated in From Russia with Love with yes. the helicopter attack. And, you know, it's, it's inspired so many directors because the threat comes from nowhere. And so Hitchcock uh, filmed that in Bakersfield in California, just off uh, California Highway 155. They filmed in October 58. And uh, Robert Boyle, the production designer, knew of the area because he had grown up in the valley. Uh, he lived on a ranch in the San Joaquin Valley in the Tulare Lake Basin. So he was familiar with those kind of emptiness. And Hitchcock loved avoiding the cliche. So if you think you're going to attack the villain, you probably do in a cliche way, a dark alley, a cat, a sinister man with a moustache. Hitchcock didn't want any of that. He said, just take the basics. Pure, brilliant sunshine, endless horizon. Where's the threat going to come from? So uh, Cary Grant is standing there. The bus comes, which is a bit of a red herring. But then the man, he uh, gets on the bus and leaves. So that's not the threat. Then out the corner of the eye, he sees... Um, the crop duster and the famous line beforehand before the man gets on uh, the bus. That's funny. That plane is uh, dusting crops where there ain't no crops. And that's such an eerie <laughs> line. Yeah. And so you know something sinister is going to happen. And then that spectacular sequence when the crop duster starts to attack Cary Grant out in the open and he has to run like a jackrabbit because there's nowhere to hide. And so that's all masterfully storyboarded. And it was filmed on location, also back in the studio. And so that needed storyboarding. And also I was interviewing uh, the daughter of uh, mentor Huebner, who was doing the storyboard artist, and she was very helpful in filling in the gaps because there's a big myth uh, about who designed the storyboards, which I go into the book. I don't want to give a secret away because I love people to read the book, but, but we've yeah. got to the bottom of that. And, how... and I like the way I like the way you did that too. That was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, so that that was a bit of a scoop because uh, his daughter and a colleague of uh, Mental Hebner, because obviously Mental's passed away now, but they helped me fill in the blanks of that story, and it was very satisfying to see how that all came together. Uh, but then, obviously, the famous Van Damme house, which is beautiful house again. This is a Robert uh, Boyle inspired fort because he was very much 
influenced by the modernist architect of Frank Lloyd Wright, mm -hmm. especially his house called Falling Water, where you've got like a cantilever design of a house. And again, this is Hitchcock going against type. If you think of a classic villain's house, you would not expect a uber modern Frank Lloyd Wright house on the edge of Mount Rushmore, full of glass, stone and glass, which is like just perfect for um, the, the, the kind of um, the evil man's lair because he's got such great taste, James Mason, throughout, throughout the movie. And so that was important to do. And obviously the very famous sequence at the end of Mount Rushmore, which was storyboarded. And that, again, was a huge set. Hitchcock tried to get permission to film on Mount Rushmore and he was denied by the government when we saw the script because they, they thought it was very against having villains on uh, President Abraham Lincoln's nose. The, the working title of the film was actually The Man on Lincoln's Nose. Yeah, I'm just going to ask you that, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and so Robert Boyle did one of his great set designs, a huge set of the uh, Mount Rushmore faces, and they had Eva Mary Saint and Cary Grant and James Mason on that set, um, and the, the great villain played by Martin Landau. Yes. And so that was all filmed in, in the studio, which was carefully storyboarded. That's amazing. And I like how on some of these storyboards you've got here from there, there are handwritten notes where yes. they're like, you know, giving direction. So like in one case, there's the word pan and it's scratched off and it says Dolly with yeah. some arrows trying to show the movement and stuff. I just... I mean, it's it's not just you're seeing. Oh, here's the one sh the one frame from the film. No. It's here's what we're doing, and here's where we're going with it. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating to see these storyboards and and how the films were built out of the storyboards. I mean, you look at any of them, like the ones we're talking about here for North by Northwest. It's just fantastic to see the movie come to life from the storyboards. I mean, it's just it's exciting. It is absolutely. Right, so then you've got some excellent chapters that the one on cycle I just love, and the birds is phenomenal that that section too. And you also do Marnie, which is which is a, another really good movie there. And they're not spy movies, so again, we don't want to spend too much time on them. But your discussion of them and how they were made is a fantastic read. And you know, like on the birds, you've got the big the um, the storyboard on the cover of your book from the yes. birds, which is which is really cool. But the thing that I really like here is when you talk about that, you talk about how Hitchcock used matte paintings in the execution of the filming of his movies. And we're going to talk about a scene in just a minute about that. But in terms of Psycho, the Birds, or Marty, you want to kind of talk about what, how matte paintings are used and, and what they do with them here? Sure. Well, matte paintings, and again, um, this is very much part of pre-visualization in, in movies today, in a whole range of movies from the Star Wars movies to the spy movies. And so it's a, a technique to show a background, which is a painting and how you interface live action with a painting. And so it's been integral for cinema for a very long time. And I can't really talk about it without discussing Albert Whitlock, who's a very famous collaborator of Hitchcock, who's a matte paint artist, who he actually met as um, a sign designer back on the 39 Steps during his London days. And so when Albert Whitlock moved to LA, he joined the Hitchcock Repertoire Company and worked on the famous paintings in the birds. He created the moody skies, again, working with Robert Boyle and that look. He was very influenced by the painters Turner and Constable. 
and that idea of those kind of dark grey skies and the gloomy look of Bodega Bay. And he created the famous matte paintings in Marnie for the, the house during the hunt sequence. And infamously, don't want to go into talk about it, but can't mention it without Marnie, is the uh, a Baltimore ship where Marnie's mother lives, which is very controversial. And so he was he was brought on to Torn Curtain, which uses map paintings, because Torn Curtain is a spy movie from the mid-60s, and Hitchcock couldn't really film behind the Iron Curtain at the time, which was uh, East Berlin. So he employed Hein Heckroth and to work with Albert Whitlock in creating the look of East Germany, especially the look when, for example, they're in um, uh, Gerthardt's office and you see the rubble, the rubble, the ruined rubble of East Berlin after the war. And so that look was very important for Hitchcock, even though most of the design, apart from a second unit to film some plates was filmed at the Universal Studios in LA. Yeah. Wow. Speaking of Torn Curtain, I, 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 which we wanted to talk about, Paul Newman, wasn't there some incident with Paul Newman in the whole mat, the whole the mat discussion about the yeah. marble floor or something? Yeah. Could you tell, tell that story a little bit? Sure. <laughs> well, again, this is down to Joseph Musser, who was a tremendous find, and I interviewed him at length on the phone, which was it was just like gold dust finding him, really. <laughs> I, I actually wasn't going to do Tom Curtin because, uh, for one, it's not my favourite film, um, mm -hmm. but I really come to enjoy it through my research. Um, but I had to because of Joseph's knowledge. It's so valuable because he's probably in his 80s now. And so I had to get it all down on paper. Um, but yes, there's a famous scene in the, in the museum where... Uh, Paul Newman is chased by uh, Gromek, fantastic character actor who's basically works with the Stasi. And Gromek is onto Paul Newman. He knows that he's a spy working for the West. And he pursues him through a museum in East Berlin. And a lot of that were map paintings. And because it was a map painting, I, and I have the storyboards and some of the pictures in the book, Yes, uh, Paul fantastic. Newman had to walk along a line and, and just do some imagination, even though he had to walk along a red tape. And he said, <laughs> you know, he, he was a method actor and would often complain to Hitchcock and say, what's my motivation? <laughs> and Hitchcock <laughs> would say, your salary. <laughs> and that would drive <laughs> Paul Newman crazy because obviously he was a perfectionist method actor in the 1960s. And so um, that didn't please Paul, but he he worked a bit. And um, there was also the other famous incident in the farmhouse where Gromek uh, corners Paul Newman's character and finds out that he's a spy, is about to call the authorities and the housewife and Paul Newman try and kill him. But they can't shoot him because his uh, Gromek's taxi driver is waiting outside and we hear the shot. So they have to use all the instruments in the farmhouse a shovel, a knife, and at the end, a gas oven. And this is a superb example of Hitchcock using the tools and location. He always very wanted to use a location to its maximum. So he would really think about the setting. So for example, if you were filming in the kitchen, think about your accoutrements, or if you're filming in a museum or even on Mount Rushmore, you just think about your environment. And so that was all carefully storyboarded. But um, Newman didn't like that because he didn't want to look like a buffoon. 
And Hitchcock said to him, well, you're not a prize wrestler. You're not going to knock Gromack out with a one punch. You've got to, you know, you struggle, try and get the shovel. And then in the end, him and the housewife drag Gromack's head and gas him. And it's a fantastic overhead shot. But again, it's a superb, it's not to everyone's taste, but it's a superb example of Hitchcock using the tools and the location and showing it's so actually very difficult to kill a human being. That really was a cool scene and the way you describe it in the book yeah. is great. I also like the when um, you had the retort from Hitchcock on Newman about when he said, what's my motivation for running on that paper? Yeah. If you don't stay on the Maripol paper, you're going to disappear under the mat yeah. and nobody's ever going to see you. Yeah. <laughs> that's yes. just, that's just There's fantastic. movie magic. It's movie magic. It's how the movies are made. It's how to get the the actor to do what the director needs out of the actor, and it's just really well done. And the more I think about it, this whole the whole matte paintings and stuff that be that be replaced with CGI today, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, Hilton Green, the production designer, said Hitchcock was ahead of his time with the matte paintings, even though they may seem antiquated now he said Hitchcock would have loved the CGI being used he was very much at the forefront of his time using cutting edge technology so he would have loved matte paintings um, that he tried to use in Torn Curtain and some of his later films like Topaz so yes it was very important that keeping up with technology well if you hadn't told us in the book I didn't realize it I've only seen Torn Curtain I think twice but if you hadn't told us about that in the book, I would not have realized that he wasn't just in a museum. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so, so yeah. that was cool. I thought that was an on-location shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The book is enlightening in many, many ways. I, you also talk about the movie Topaz. We just did, uh, Tom and I just recorded an episode, oh. a podcast episode on Topaz. It's coming out on Tuesday. We wish you had your book ahead of time oh. when we had recorded it. We could have had a nice discussion of the storyboards yeah. there especially uh, to lay out Juanita's death. Mm. You'll remember who she was played by Karen Dora, yeah. who also played Helga Brampton, You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Can you talk us through how they use the storyboards for uh, that scene? Because that was fantastic. Yeah. Well, I had the privilege of interviewing Karen Dora before she died for my masterclass yeah. book. That was back in 2012. And I rang her up in Germany and she was incredibly nice, incredibly sweet. Said how she loved working with Hitchcock. She talked to me through the scene because a very famous scene because she's wearing this purple flower dress and the fantastic character actor who's played it's by John and he shoots her and her dress flays out like a flower. Hitchcock wanted it to be very beautiful. And so he had this overhead camera shot and you see the mm. gun go off and then she kind of tilts her head back and her purple dress splays out. And Hitchcock had a rope on the end, this invisible rope at the end of each dress, um, Fred. And so they all pulled it when she collapsed and it opened up like a flower. So that was a level of detail and kind of storyboarding. And there's a flower motif in Topaz, which you probably saw because of a very famous shot when that fantastic character actor, Philippe Dubois, who's played by Roscoe Lee Brown, he's in Harlem and he bribes Uribe the Cuban official in a flower shop and he worked yep. in a flower yes. shop. So you think of all that kind of flower motifs throughout Topaz and it's a very color design film. Yellow represents the French, red represents the Cubans. You've got um, various colors for 
the uh, the French and the Germans and also the Americans. So yeah, I, I actually love Topaz in terms of its design. People criticize it a lot because of the stilted acting, you know, the main character, um, the main actor, Frederick Stafford, may not be a typical Hitchcock hero, but it's got a lot to go for it. And I can't wait to listen to your podcast now you've told me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it, was a, it was a good movie. It's a good movie. We liked it a lot. Yeah. But the storyboards here in your book, again, on it are tremendous. Yeah. Again, adding insight into the movie. So when you watch it again, after you've seen the storyboards in your book, you appreciate e even more. The scenes well, that and, you see. and you think about that scene with Juanita that you were talking about there and the way you just described it. It's like, man, I wish we had had that discussion before we did that yeah. episode because that was that really ties it together for me. Yeah, yeah. The last movie you talk about is Hitch's last movie, The Family Plot. Mm -hmm. And I think that pretty much wraps up the spy movie element and going through the chapters yeah. you've got in this excellent book. And I would tell you, I found this to be an excellent read. It's a fairly easy yes. read. And it to me, it's like when you first pick it up, you're going to just flip through the pictures, right? You're going to say, oh, what are all these storyboards in here? And then you start reading what you've you learn written about them and you learn so much. And yeah. so yeah. anybody who's a spy movie fan, a movie fan, a Hitchcock fan, who wants to know a little bit more about how this, how the sausage is made, your book is fantastic for that. Yeah, it really Thank is. You. It's yeah. a fun read. And just to finish a thought on, Topaz and Family Plot. The link, as I mentioned, was Thomas Wright, who's still with us, his storyboard artist. He started working for Hitchcock on Topaz, uh, sketching and doing some second unit work. And again, his information and memory was invaluable. And said he designed the runaway car sequence in Family Plot, which was very, very famous with Barbara Harris and Bruce uh, Dern, because it's, it's all shot on in an interior on one camera. And also the cemetery sequence, but, for example, in Topaz, he was telling me about a level of detail of how much light they wanted on the floor. And so actually he had, actually had the floor painted, painted white because Hitchcock wanted that level of reflection. So that's that's the kind of detail that Hitchcock was working at. That's fantastic stuff. So, Tony, when the book is available, February 6, 2024, where can people buy the book? Uh, they can they can buy it online or in bookstores. It's it's published uh, we've got a fantastic publisher Titan Books in the UK, and their distribution is with Penguin Random House in the US. So it's oh, a big fantastic. publisher, and all you need to do is Google it, and you can find your local bookseller who I'm sure will stock it. Or if not, they've got some good deals as well on Amazon, and also just look around at some of the other websites. Fantastic. All right. This has been a fascinating and entertaining talk about Alfred Hitchcock storyboards, the name of Tony's book, and the role of storyboards for all movies. So thank you, Tony. It's been a pleasure to have you back on our show. And we highly recommend to anybody listening, get this book. And we hope it does really well for you, Tony, because yeah. it, it, it should. It's fantastic. We just scratched the surface today, which is the cool part. Yes get the book and you can really get into it. So thanks again, Tony. Thanks. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you for inviting me. All right. This has been Dan. And Tom. From spymovienavigator.com on our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Please subscribe to our show through your favorite podcast app and on our YouTube channel too. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you spending time with us.